Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I am Darren Hefty, soon to be joined here by my brother Brian as well. We're going to be talking about improving spray performance on today's show and also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or you can always email us radio at agphd.com. All right, Brian, improving spray performance is our topic today. You want to start with that or you want to start into something else? Or maybe nothing at all. Well, when it comes to spray performance, one of the things that we've been talking a lot about the last couple of days here is just how this cold weather is going to be coming through the northern U.S. And when it gets cold like this, the best thing you can do to improve spray performance is not spray. Wait till things warm up. That seems to be the easy answer. Have you gotten the the question, Brian, is it too cold to spray? Okay, well, first of all, I, I just had a little uh, cell phone connection issue there, so sorry about that. But yeah, it's absolutely too cold. I just, I, so for both Darren and me, we do a lot of training with agronomists, and I just sent something out to a few hundred agronomists this morning saying, hey, make sure when you're talking to your farmers, you tell them it's too cold to spray right now if you're going to see the daytime highs only in the 50s and the nighttime lows down in the 30s. The stuff's just not going to work very well. Now, as I say that, you could use a residual herbicide. That'll be fine. You could use a fungicide. You could use an insecticide. Even some biological products. We're going to be spraying some Rise Up Smart Grass, some gibberellic acid here in the next few days. That stuff's all fine. But you got to wait and not only let the weather warm up, but you got to wait a couple days after the weather warms up so your plants are actively growing again. Otherwise, you're just not going to get great weed control. Yeah, that waiting part is the tough thing. And everybody thinks, well, it's 75, 80 degrees now again. It's just going to be growing gangbusters. It is in a couple of days. And that's really what we're looking for. We're looking for that actively growing weed. That's our best chance of getting the herbicide in and and getting the job done. The other thing is your crop. When it's actively growing, it's more able to work through that herbicide and, and everything else that's going on. So it just reduces a lot of stress on the crop, waiting a little bit too. But the challenge that I hear, Brian, is, well, my weeds, they're already two inches tall. If I don't get them now, they're going to be six inches tall before you know it, or they're already three or four inches tall, whatever no. it is. One of the things that I like to yeah, do is just just get a stick, make a mark on the stick, and then see how, see how much they're growing. Put a stick out there, make a mark. I don't think they're going to grow at all the next couple of days. Well, yeah, but I, I mean, that's not going to help you today with your decision. I just say when it's cold, the plants aren't growing much, and it doesn't matter if they're growing or they're not. If you can't kill them, then why are you spending the money? Now, granted, your herbicide dealer may love you because you're going to go spray, and then you're going to have to go respray it in a couple of weeks or maybe less. But, I mean, for everybody else, this is not a wise choice. So just wait until the weather warms up. Now, I would also say we get a lot of questions about, well, can I increase the rate? Can I switch spray adjuvants? Can I go to small spray droplets so I get better coverage and more water, more pressure? By doing all that, will that make a difference? Sure, that'll help a little bit, but it's still not going to completely overcome the issue of it's just flat out too stinking cold to be spraying. So I would just advise people, do something else. Go take a vacation for three days. (laughs) Do something different because you're just going to be wasting your money on the herbicide if it's a contact killer today. 
You know, the other thing that you can do in the meantime, and we hear this all the time, I don't have time to scout as much as you guys talk about. Well, guess what? If you can't spray and all the crops in the ground and the equipment's in good shape, what else are you doing? Here's your shot. Here's your time that you could be out doing a little bit of crop scouting. Take a look at what your stands look like in each of these fields. Check to see if there are some insects. We're hearing a lot of insect pressure in grass hay fields, pastures, alfalfa fields especially. Wow, lots of lots of stuff going on out there because you know what? Our crop has been a little slow coming up in the north. And here's your shot to see what there is so when it is time to spray, you can get the right things in the mix. The other thing is just getting everything home. And Brian, I, I hope we've hit this one enough this year. But there's a shortage on a lot of products out there. You've got to have things on hand if you want to spray. Just talking to a grower in wheat country who said, I'm just a few weeks away from harvest, but I'm already getting my burn down products because my dealer tells me, pick them up now or you're going to miss out. Well, yeah. I mean, there is a shortage of certain herbicides out there. But the problem is... you. For a lot of people, they go, well, look, I don't know for sure what I'm going to have to spray. Am I going to have to spray a bug killer, a fungicide? What herbicides am I going to need? Am I going to need a second shot of herbicide? So I understand all that. But our advice this year, as short as things are, is just take it all home. As long as you can return it, you're in good shape. And you know what? Even if you can't return it, you're probably still in good shape because prices are going up next year. So it's not that big a deal. I'd say just get everything you think you're going to need for the summer. Pick it up right now. And then you should be sitting fine. One other thing that we've heard about this spring has been where guys have been waiting for the rain and they had powdery soil and then they got a pounding rain crusting issues. And we always get a lot of questions about crusting. We're getting this nice, easy rain here today. I wouldn't be too worried about crusting in this kind of rain, but when it comes two inches in a real hurry on powdery dirt, sometimes that can be a problem. And we think about well, how do I deal with it right now today? But there are some long-term fixes for crusting that we talk about a lot, getting our percentage of calcium in the soil up, leaving a little bit more residue out there, all those types of things, whether you don't have to be like full no-till and cover crop to avoid that. But hey, guess what? That would help too. So if you can just leave some residue at least, that could be part of the solution. Anything else I'm missing there, Brent? And I just lost Brian. Yeah, he's having a fun cell phone connection day. It's one of those days where I'm going to be in the studio. Brian says, oh, yeah, I'll call in. Well, we'll see how that goes sometimes. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're going to talk about improving spray performance on today's show because there are a lot of challenges out there, whether it be resistant weeds, heavy pressure, uh, ground that was prevent plant the last couple of years that, that growers are getting back into for the first time. I've had quite a few of those questions. You need your spray to work well, and you can't really afford to have to do things over. So we'll talk about how to improve your spray performance on today's Ag PhD radio show. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. 
Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist Weed Control System, just better, with no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about improving spray performance, but our phone lines are open if you have an agronomic question. 844-44-AG-PHD. Real happy to have our friend Nick Flights back on with us. Uh, he's with Hypro Pentair. Nick, thanks for joining us. Yeah, Darren, thanks for having me on today. All right, we're talking about improving spray performance, and I, I've been out in a lot of fields where a grower has had an issue, never us, of course, but where some anonymous growers had an issue, and it's always, oh, did I pick the wrong product, or was the weather just not right? But sometimes, you know what, there's something on the sprayer that could be changed that could make performance even better, and I know you get called to a lot of, a lot of challenging issues, too. Talk us through with the sprayer. What are some things that we should think about heading into the spray season that could really help us improve our performance? Yeah, certainly. You know, one thing I've been saying more this year, and I think some of it is tied to you know, the wider adoption of PWM technology, is nozzle sizing. Seems like that has been a big topic, a bigger issue we've been seeing this spring so far um, is some performance issues, uneven coverage. Um, uneven herbicide performance that can be tied back to, to nozzle sizing. And, and basically, um, you know, some people aren't getting that step right in that equation. Um, they're either using nozzles that uh, can be too large in some cases and, and result in too low of a pressure being used at uh, slower speeds when they're slowing down and turning. Or if you're running a PWM sprayer, uh, you know, too large of a nozzle size can have a uh, an impact on your duty cycle and push the duty cycle lower that's resulting in some performance issues that we've been seeing in the field. So, you know, trying to get that nozzle uh, sizing question right there early on is going to be a key step to make sure the, the sprayer is performing like you want it to, make sure you get good uniform and even coverage, you know, across the field and, and across your, your speed range that you're going to run uh, throughout your fields. 
All right, let me throw a couple of questions out at you that have come in. And one of them is, if you're, you, know, you guys are talking improving spray performance. Talk more about sprayer clean-out, already seeing some issues in our area. Okay, Nick, uh, talk to us about sprayer clean-out. What are some of the things that growers should take a look at? I know you've got some new technologies to help make this easier, too. Yeah, one thing, um, you know, we all know that there's some chemistries, there's some, some type of formulations suspension-based products, atrazine, yellow herbicides, you know, some of those. That, that can be an issue for us. It's hard to get all that residue, get them out of the sprayer, uh, particularly in the, the, the inline filters, the strainers. That's one place. Make sure uh, that, that you're checking those, you're pulling those out and washing those. Uh, something people forget sometimes, too, is if you're loading that product um, from a nurse trailer onto the sprayer, Anywhere you're loading that product through, make sure you flush that area out too. Uh, we have those the fill areas in the, in the front of a lot of sprayers that, that run back through the solution pump from the front of the sprayer. Make sure you check that area. Make sure you check your, your inductors um, you know, that are, are located on the sprayer. There's a lot of different areas on the sprayer that the, the chemical is going to come in contact to that can be easy to forget about. So uh, hoses, anything like that, remember to check those and flush those out because it can be a a contamination source. Uh, as far as products that can make the sprayer clean-out job easier, quicker, more efficient, um, you know, I'd, I'd recommend looking into the, the express flush valve. So if you have the existing express end cap, um, you know, you can pull that plug out the end, but there's that metal fork you have to pull out. You have to have pliers or a screwdriver to get the plug out. You have to carry those pieces along. It, it took some time. wasn't always as easy uh, as we'd like it to be. So there's a stainless steel ball valve, we call it the express flush valve, that replaces that plug. Now all you have to do to open flush the end of your spray booms is turn that quarter turn ball valve, it's fully open, uh, and, and you can flush your, your sprayer out really quick, really easier. This reduces the time and effort required, uh, so hopefully we can clean our sprayers out you know, a little bit more. Um, I'd also say quickly, uh, you know, look into tank cleaners or other products um, whether it's ammonias or tank cleaners from some companies that, that specialize in that uh, to alter pH and help get some of those oily residues out. Um, water isn't always going to do the job for us. We're going to need some extra help there. And, and there's some companies that, that specialize in those products that can um, really make our spur clean out job more effective. All right, we're talking with Nick Flights here with Pentair, and I love this question. Hey, you got Nick on again. You're talking to somebody from Pentair, and you never ask him about pumps. They have really good pumps, and that would help things, especially with filling the tank. Uh, talk to us about pumps, and what are some things we should be looking at? Oh shoot! So you know, I'm I'm an agronomist, so I'm not I'm not a pump expert, <laughs> um, so I can't you know. So I don't talk about pumps a lot because um, it's not my specialty area. But um, I'll say a little bit, you know, when we're talking about sprayer efficiency and, and trying to keep that sprayer in the field spraying more often and less downtime reloading and mixing, there's a lot of attention people are putting into nurse trailer setups these days. And I think that's a good place to focus more attention because that is some of the low-hanging fruit we have for increasing our sprayer productivity. Uh, some of the biggest gains can be made there through um, reloading that sprayer faster. You know, there's 400 gallon per minute transfer pumps on the market today. You can reload a spray tank 
um, within two, three, four minutes with that type of flow capability. And, and then some of the other upgrades with, with chemical eduction systems that you can get on, on our nurse trailers today to help get those products mixed and, and, and dissolved and into the, the spray solution and on our sprayer quicker. So that's where I'd look, and I'm not going to go much deeper than that on pumps. <laughs> I love putting you on the spot, though. My <laughs> okay, okay, let's get back to a little more agronomy. Okay, got this one. We're putting in more adjuvants now and more products when we're spraying our Extend products this year. Now we've got to use, in addition to a drift reduction agent, we've got to use volatility reducers. How do you feel the spray performance is with those products? Is there anything we need to change now that we've got more additives going in the mix? From my uh, conversations with the chemical manufacturers, our VRAs, or volatility reduction agents, should not impact our spray quality. So it shouldn't impact um, droplet size or drift or the uh, you know viscosity of the spray solution. So we shouldn't have any impacts there. I've heard some issues with uh, some of the VRAs in the, the mixing sequence can um, lead to some issues with a lot of pressure and foam buildup. So if you do have a lot of foam buildup inside of your, your spray tank, that can certainly uh, have an impact on the performance of the sprayer and the nozzles. They're not going to patternate very well, um, and they're not going to perform very well. You're probably going to have to dump that, um, that mix and reload. So check out uh, University of Arkansas. Their weed science extension department has some videos on that specific issue. As far as the, the DRAs, the drift reduction um, agents, those can have an impact on our droplet size and on the, the nozzle performance. So a lot of those products are really going to thicken up that spray solution. They're going to change the viscosity of the liquid solution, and that can have a, a significant impact on the performance of our nozzles. So that's something we want to want to look out for. Um, in that case, it may help to up your pressure a little bit. You want to stay within the approved nozzle uh, ranges that are on the label but it may help to increase our pressure a little bit to make sure we're getting um, the, the level of patternation. We're getting a full pattern development there um, so we get good overlap between our nozzles. Because I know at lower pressures, we have seen some pattern collapse uh, with some nozzle and drift reduction adjuvant combinations. So before you go out and spray, I'd recommend checking your DRA and nozzle combination. Make sure it looks good to you. And you may want to tinker with it and try and tweak those settings uh, to, to get things where you want to make sure that visually um, things look good to your eye. Excellent. Great tips. We're talking with Nick Flights with Pentair and wide-ranging conversation. But, Nick, you handled it like a champ. Thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Yeah, thank you. Have to remember that. Nick loves pump questions. Have to have more of those ready for him next time he's on here. We're talking about improving spray performance on today's Ag PhD radio program and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. 
Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at AgPhD, we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an AgPhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. Your soil, your season, your edge. Make the new three-point Soil Warrior Edge from Environmental Tillage Systems your strip tillage system. Because you don't get to choose the condition of your soil, the Soil Warrior Edge is engineered to handle whatever's in your fields. And that same durable engineering goes the extra acre when that's what you have to do. The new Soil Warrior Edge three-point mounted strip till system. Learn more at SoilWarrior.com. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento Fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucento Fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. When it comes to effective herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Burnmaster, Scorch, and Spitfire for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these unprecedented times, you're facing unprecedented pressure. New Farm's here to help. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today and talking about improving spray performance. But I want to say this, we're recommending don't spray right now in the north. It's cold. It's really cold. And I got a picture this morning from a farmer in southwestern North Dakota. They had snow on the ground. May 27th. Crazy. Well, if you see snow on the ground, you've got several days before you're going to be able to spray and have stuff work again. And I know Brian was talking about this earlier. He said, all right, so what's the answer? Let's just use more spray volume. Let's let's increase the rate of the products and let's just lean heavily on the adjuvants to make things work, even when it's this cold. Got our friend Jim Reese with us right now with Precision Labs. Jim, do you like it when guys do that? Say, I'm just going to put all my money into adjuvants right now, and let's just spray even when I shouldn't be out there. Oh, well, well, hi, Darren. Uh, It sounds exciting, right? From my perspective, (laughs) I think it's really a bad idea. Um, Geez, let's just wait for some warmer weather. Let's get a a chance for everything to start growing again and and, uh, then take our best shot at it. 
Yeah, I totally agree. It's just one of those times where we just have to wait. And what do you do? You you just got to buy a couple of days. Like Brian, Brian suggested, maybe just go on a vacation. Maybe take your wife somewhere for the weekend and then come back next week and you're all ready to go. And and when we do, when we've got stuff actively growing, uh, then we do want to do a great job when we're out there spraying. So talk to us about a couple of things uh, to, to help improve spray performance, maybe things that seem basic and we just need a refresher on. And then if you get any new tips or, or anything, you say, hey, here's something that a lot of guys don't think about. We'd love to hear that too. So sure. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest things I continue to run up against is uh, choosing the right rate of oil. So whether you're using an MSO or a crop oil concentrate or a high surfactant oil, uh, seems to always be the temptation to, uh, just do it as a percent B to V. So if I'm spraying with uh, methylate seed oil, for example, just 1% B to V or a gallon and 100 gallons of water. Um, and then the next temptation is I can really save myself some money if I go from 15 gallons of water down to 10 or maybe spray at just 8 gallons of water per acre and spread that, that gallon of MSO out over more acres. And that is a recipe for disaster. Um, research has shown that if you're oils really should be recommended on a rate per acre basis. So for crop oil concentrate, some, you know, ordinary crop oil concentrate, about 32 ounces per acre, regardless of water volume. Uh, MSOs, 20 to 24 ounces per acre, regardless of your water volume. And then the high surfactant oils should be in that 10 to 12 ounce range per acre, regardless of, of water volume. You know, that's a good debate. We, we do get into that quite often about, well, do we do a, a percentage of the volume or do we do a straight rate per acre? We, we talk about the herbicides, for example, Roundup. When you buy a Roundup Power Max, you've already got a certain amount of surfactant in there. But if you're using it at five gallons per acre versus 15, how does that play out? And for growers that are adding in these these DRAs and VRAs and all these things, it, it does get confusing a little bit. Yeah, surfactants generally are always good at B2B, and let's face it, if you're spraying Roundup at lower water volumes, you've got more, you know, Roundup Power Max or any loaded glyphosate, you've just got more of it in 100 gallons, so you're getting more than enough surfactancy. If anything, um, somebody gets down to under 10 gallons of water per acre with a loaded glyphosate, I highly doubt they need more surfactant. Um, quite truthfully, they probably need something else to really make it click. Yeah, there's, there's just so many choices. The other thing is nitrogen sources. So we talk about oils and surfactants. The nitrogen piece is kind of interesting. And I know early in the season, I've seen some recommendations being made by agronomists. Hey, let's add some more nitrogen into the mix. Do we end up with some unintended consequences for that? Or, or is a low rate of nitrogen in the tank most often a good thing? Well, it depends what low is, right? So I generally, you know, think of if it's glyphosate spraying, you know, gosh, if you got eight and a half pounds of AMS per 100 gallons of spray solution, um, that's fine. And that's probably usually more than enough. Um, I can can think of lots of data over the years where you could actually see increasing the rate to, say, 17 pounds per 100 gallons actually decreased performance slightly. Um, certainly didn't show a real advantage to it. Um, and, and if you're worried about hard water, um, just keep in mind that um, every pound of, uh, uh, of ammonium sulfate ties up about 90 parts per million of water hardness. So 
you know, eight, eight and a half pounds of AMS is a lot of uh, water conditioning power. And quite truthfully, it's quite a, quite a bit of, uh, quite a few ammonium ions too. Get a question that came in, Jim, and a farmer says, I'm tank mixing different products, but the challenge is one product says I need to use non-ionic surfactant. Another one says I definitely need to use oil. How do I justify that in a, in a or how do I make that decision in a tank mixing situation? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, usually, though, so the, uh, I guess the way to think about it is that the, uh, the product that requires the oil, and this is really the benefit of high surfactant oil. So now I'm starting to think about it like a glyphosate tank mix um, the guy might be running, right? Uh, or maybe even an unloaded glyphosate formulation with the, with a tank mix partner. Um, the, the oils, if you can use a high surfactant oil, whether it's high surfactant methyl acetyl or high surfactant. Yeah, there are different there are different alternatives to that. I just lost Jim there for a second. I'll I'll let Janelle try and pick that up. Uh, Jim brings up a good point there. There 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 are other alternatives that might not be either of those two. That may be kind of a combination type product like a high surfactant oil concentrate, where if you need a higher load of surfactant, that might be a shot while still providing some of that oil that you may want out there. It, it does make a difference, and especially as the weather changes here, too, when you think about cooler weather versus as the weather warms up, how much uh, of a penetrant you need into that crop and into those weeds to try to deliver that product and, and get through like, well, right now, when we're really cool and fortunately right now catching a little bit of moisture, if we're cool and damp, a lot of times those cuticles on the leaves are pretty thin and it's easy to push things in where when it's really dry out, that may, may not be the case at all. Uh, so, Jim, you mentioned the, the high surfactant oil concentrate as being a, a potential solution to that where, where one product needs an oil, another one needs more surfactant. Yeah, I'm sorry about uh, losing you guys, but uh, that's actually a great fit for the high surfactant oils to kind of bridge that, that – uh, what do I do in this situation um, where you've got two different tank mix partners asking for different things? The only thing you have to be careful of the, of if one of the partners specifically prohibits the use of an oil, um, then you've, then you've got some other concerns, but uh, I can think of a lot of glyphosate combinations with other products or, or tank mixes that you mentioned where you've got oil loving and water loving products, uh, high surfactant oils are, perfect fit for that and uh you can get the benefits of both of both worlds um there always is the danger of oils antagonizing some of the products that just need surfactant but once you move to a high surfactant oil that there's really not much risk of that at all got about one minute here and jim had one more question it's on a product that i know you know very well convert and at a grower say man i've been putting convert in with everything i've been spraying so far this season haven't seen it hurt my performance at all but tank clean out has been so much better are there any products that i need to watch out where i don't want a compatibility agent like convert in the mix oh gosh uh, the only time i would uh, I cannot think of anything off the top of my head, Darren. Uh, the only thing I would uh, just take a look at, make sure that the label doesn't prohibit, you know, uh, spray solution pH from dipping down too low. Convert will tend to buffer spray solution pH down around, um, around five or maybe a little bit less. So 
uh, you might want to have to, you might want to be concerned about that. I guess, so if I was, you know, so now as I think about it, if I was spraying a copper fungicide um, for some reason, um, or, back, you know, copper is a bactericide on a crop, I sure. might not want to be reducing spray solution pH that low, but that'd be about it. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting. The compatibility agents are getting so much more popular, and I I know we use that product to convert. It's been been really good. We we haven't had mixing issues, and tank cleanout's been easy. I, I really like that. That that improves our spraying performance. I can definitely say that one for sure. Uh, Jim Reese with Precision Labs. Jim, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Stop losing money from your stored grain with the Enzone Fan Control System from FarmShop MFG. The Enzone monitors outside conditions to run your fans so your grain naturally reaches ideal temperature and humidity. For more information, visit FarmShopMFG.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Introducing Wide R Match from Corteva AgriScience. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for RLX Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds in wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at Ag PhD, we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's a secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio talking about improving spray performance. 
and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD if you would like to call in with an agronomic question or just to talk about how things are going on your farm or, or give us some ideas of how you're improving spray performance on your farm this year if you made any changes. Maybe it's an equipment change. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's just a way of thinking change. I've got Mark Burns on with us right now with Case IH. Mark, thanks for joining us. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, I was thinking about this coming into today, and I thought, okay, improving spray performance, and here we are. We finally have a a rainy, dreary, cold day on our farm. We're really happy for the moisture. And I thought, okay, there's four things when it comes to to spraying for me. One is I've got to pick up product. This is a great day to pick up products. I absolutely can't get anything done in the field. And then once I'm ready to spray, I've got travel time to the field, I've got fill time, and I've got actual spray time. And when I've got a good spray day, the only thing that I really want to have to worry about is the actual spray time. I want to maximize that as best I can. So I know there's a lot of things going on in the equipment industry in terms of improving fill time and, and those types of things. What are some of the things that Case AH is working, working on right now to, to help farmers improve spray performance? Well, you pretty much hit things right on the head is, you know, to drive productivity, it really looks at on-row efficiency and how can we make producers more uh, efficient and and keep them in the field. And so, you know, we look at things like um, optimizing hose sizes, uh, you know, for your fill connections, you know, makes a heck of a difference to go from a two inch fill to a three inch fill and and how that reduces time Uh, for those that, uh, use the onboard product pump to suck product on rather than pressure filling, uh, providing two avenues of, of fill versus one so that we can get that tank full faster and, and back on the row. And then, you know, even when you're done, uh, increasing road speed so we can get from one field to the next quicker too is, is making a huge difference. Yeah, there, there are just so many things that go into this. And I know when we think about improving performance, sometimes uh, I'll ask a grower about this. He'll say, well, it's all about picking the right product. Uh, that's part of it. I mean, you got to pick the right product and, and you got to go out there on a nice day, all those kinds of things. But man, the equipment makes such a difference in how things work too. And, you know, when I think about the sprayer, there are just so many parts there. What are some of the, the things on the sprayer that we need to, to look at? If we're not happy with our performance, if we aren't getting great coverage or, or a great kill yet, we seem to be doing everything else right. What are some of the things that you'd say are maybe common errors or common things that need adjustment? Well, I think, you know, the, the big things that we look at is providing an optimum spray platform. And so boom stability uh, really comes into play there. Um, starts an awful lot with the suspension, both the chassis as well as the boom that's on the sprayer. But that can only take into account so much. So then it's, you know, what can we do from a, a boom height or a boom leveling control? And there's been some significant advances in that market or, or in that component's functionality over the last couple of years. So if you haven't checked those things out, you know, the improvements there are, are big. Yeah, that, that is one, Mark. Just even when I think about drift and, and issues that we've seen across the country with that Canva and other products, I, I can't tell you how many times I've driven by a field and I see the boom just way up in the air. And we've been guilty on our own farm. I, I was going past one of my brother's fields and it's 
It's pretty hilly ground. I'll give them that. But but here's the sprayer rolling through and the booms way up in the air. And I thought, okay, what's going on? Well, just had a different operator in. He was really nervous about, ah, oh, man, I don't want to hit anything. But but yet he's way too far above the crop. It, it makes a big difference. It does. And, you know, typically you've, you've got one side of the boom that's too high and, and you hit the nail right on the head. Is It's a coverage problem and it's a drift problem. But at the at the opposite side of that, your other boom is likely too close to the ground, and now you're losing your spray pattern overlap. So you're not getting good coverage sure. there either. So it's a huge problem. Yeah, you know it is. And the other the other thing here that I wanted to touch on, because you were talking about travel time uh, to the field, and we get in such a hurry so often on the farm, and this is when problems can happen. Speed of operation in the field. I want growers to be able to slow down a little bit in the field if need be, that we aren't running just a ridiculous speed. And I I'll, I know you'll appreciate this story, Mark. I was talking to a farmer, and he had a brand-new John Deere self-propelled sprayer, and he was just cursing at the machine. He said, ah, oh, this machine's junk. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with it? It's brand-new, and it costs a lot of money. It's got a lot of good technology on there. And he said, oh, no, the auto steer keeps shutting out, shutting off on me. And I'm, I'm like, really? Why? <laughs> He's like, well, I guess I was going over 20 miles an hour and I thought oh my goodness we we don't want to do that I don't care whose sprayer it is it's not going to work right yeah you'd you'd be surprised the number of times that 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 does come up you know and there, there's a reason for for some limitations on some of that technology <laughs> that's for sure yeah we don't we don't want to we don't want to speed things up that way by just driving faster as we're doing our job but you know there are a lot of things there too with uh all the nozzle technology and everything going on there and and case ih has done things a little different over the years and and really had good luck uh what's your strategy there what are you doing anything different uh, this year or, or looking ahead to the next couple of years? Right. You know, and, and anybody that's familiar with Patriot sprayers will think, you know, almost synonymously the uh, aim command spray technology that, that we've offered and continue to do so. And that type of uh, spray capabilities really has, made the life of a, of a spray operator much easier because it's the ability to not only hold the constant rate, but to hold a constant pressure over a wider speed range. And so we're optimizing that droplet size. Um, you know, there's been some advances, things like turn compensation, um, a newer one that, that will be coming out with us um, later this year or next is blockage detection you know and and that that's a pretty big thing especially you know from a manufacturer that has a rear mounted boom uh, you're not able to necessarily see every nozzle and so having the type of technology that says hey um, nozzle x is not putting out what it should uh, is a a pretty big deal yeah it sure is i'm amazed with uh what we've seen just over the years with with control and the ability to to detect problems sooner rather than later and you know one of the things that i say too is is just getting to know your equipment to know all the features and functions and how things work and i found this really interesting we were meeting with with our our guys that work for us on our farm and just talking about all right what do we need to invest in for new equipment and one of the guys said look i don't think we need to spend another dollar until we read the manuals fully and really exercise all the options that we can already use on the equipment we got. Do you think we're, we're getting 20% of the capacity of our equipment or are we doing a lot better than I think? 
Well, I think, you know, the, my answer, I guess, would be it's geographically based. Um, it, sprayers are really no different than buying a new pickup. I guess I'm as guilty as anybody. You get in the seat and think you know it all and you just drive away. And there's, there's things that my 17 year old son have, has educated me on. And said, <laughs> um, Did you know you can do this? Well, he knows uh, it all, Mark. And I, and I, <laughs> oh, he does. If, if you ever want to know anything, you ask a teenager, but the, uh, the, uh, the th- same thing holds true for, for spray equipment is there is so much capability in the existing technology today. And even things that were available three, four years ago that, you know, you're, you're probably not far off that in certain instances or operations, we're not making the most use of the money we spent. Nope. That's for sure. We, we can definitely do a lot better job with, with what we've got. We've got good equipment and we've got the know-how on the adjuvants and the products and so forth to, to do a good job. Sometimes you just need to slow down just a little bit and, and look a little deeper. We're talking with Mark Burns here with Case IH. Mark, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on and, and look forward to talking to you again. All right. Thank you much. Talking about improving spray performance on our show today, obviously we get a lot of questions about specific weed and disease and insect problems and and which products to use. Hey, product selection is definitely part of this, but but how do you use that? How do you get the most out of it? Hopefully you found some good information on our show so far. Got a number of questions that have come in, though, for the Ag PhD mailbag. We'll dive into that coming up next. Stay tuned. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at Ag PhD, we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. A history of success means proven performance, but let's call performance what it is, profitability. And boosting yours, no matter what the season brings, is the goal of DeKalb brand corn. Backed by exclusive genetics, whole farm solutions, and unmatched dealer support, let nothing shake your perseverance. Ask your dealer how DeKalb brand corn can help you realize a future of performance. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. 
Mycoapply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about Mycoapply Indoprime SC at indoprimecorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high yield toolbox. Come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We are in the Ag PhD mailbag time right now. Our phone lines are open if you have an agronomic question at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. I think I got Brian back on with me now. And we got our first question from Charlie in Wisconsin. He said, hey guys, I'm out doing plant tissue testing for the first time this year. I've got soil tests and I'm pulling plant tissue tests in the same areas of the field that I pulled the soil test in to see what kind of correlation there will be. Well, I'm at V3 corn right now and my first soil tests don't correlate very well to what my soil test results are. I'm wondering, do the numbers correlate more as the plants get taller? Hey, Charlie, well, thanks for the question. And, and first of all, kudos to you for getting out there and trying to learn a little bit more about your crop and about your soils by doing some soil testing and doing some plant tissue analysis. I think your strategy is really good to pull soil samples and then right in those same spots, pull plant tissue tests. I've heard some growers say, well, how do you do this exactly? Look, if you didn't, didn't GPS mark where you pulled those soil tests, just pull a new soil test this spring and then put a flag in the ground if you want to, if you don't have the technology. But I, I do think that's smart to know what the soil test results are and then see what the plant tissue test results are as well. That that will give you a good idea of, of what's going on. Will those numbers correlate more as the plants get bigger? I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case. We're going to see plant tissue test levels jumping around for various nutrients, depending on what kind of moisture content you've got, what kind of root system you've got in the crop and those kinds of things. So we do see soil test and plant tissue test values vary quite a bit. So you may have a soil test that says, well, you get a lot of parts per million of say potassium. We've seen this on our farm and we've seen our plant tissue tests come back saying that we're really low in potassium. And I guess there's a few things that you can learn from that. Like for us, in that particular case, we applied more potassium. We saw our plant tissue numbers going up. Obviously, we saw our soil test numbers going up too. And we realized we were looking at the wrong thing. We were looking at parts per million instead of looking at what our base saturation percentages were. And when you think about the huge volume of soil that we've got out there and the relatively small amount of pounds of nutrients that we're putting on, 
it's easy for those nutrients to get lost and, and just not be able to get pulled into the plant very well. So we've got super high levels of calcium, very high levels of magnesium in a lot of our fields, and they were just taking up all the spots. We, we were able to get them into the crop. We weren't able to get the potassium in. So I'd just look at each of your nutrients. If you want to send us soil tests, send us plant tissue tests, we'd be more than happy to take a look at them and, and try and make some recommendations from there. But yeah, I'd just keep going. I, I would keep watching through the season and see how those numbers go up and down. I'd, I'd mark down to where you're at for growth stage and GDUs. And then I'd also take a look at whenever you get rain, mark that down too. So you know, all right, I got a rain on June 1st. I pulled plant tissue tests on June 5th and, and I saw a lot more nutrients in. That's what I would expect to see throughout the season. Hey, thanks, Charlie. Really appreciate the question. Thanks for, for sending that in as well. All right, got this one from uh, Boyce who says, it's always a lot of talk that pre-herbicides don't work on dry years, but it's possible that the pre could actually just be blowing away. I farm in southeast North Dakota, and this spring I've seen a lot of blowing dust, and it occurred to me that if someone has a field that's dug up uh, to bare dirt with a pre on the soil surface and the dust starts to blow before they get a rain, well, then the pre is going to be the first thing to leave the field with the dirt. As for evidence to back up my opinion, back in 2017, we hardly had any rain at all in the spring. I sprayed a pre on my land, all no-till. I didn't have any blowing dirt, and I didn't have any weed problems. But others told me that their pre didn't work. Well, this year, we had an inch of rain a week ago, so if people say the pre didn't work this year or didn't activate, I'd be kind of suspicious. I'm just curious, should agronomists be... Uh, not be steering people away from pre's entirely, but perhaps only on fields prone to erosion. Hey, thanks for the question, boys. I really appreciate that. And, and I appreciate you bringing this up too. I've seen a number of videos, I've seen pictures, and I've talked to farmers in North Dakota that have said, man, where we tilled the ground heavy, we've got dirt blowing this spring. They're seeing plants getting sandblasted or, or damaged from the dirt blowing across or clipped off even that that's no, that's no good. We, we don't like seeing that. And I certainly do understand why some farmers, especially further North feel like they've got to get the fields black. So they warm up. We've had some of the same things here and some of the same talks on our farm. And we have seen farmers in our area of Southeastern South Dakota uh, with with the same kind of issues and and dirt blowing and those types of things, we've gone to more of a strip till situation. It's not like our entire farm is all strip till or anything like that. And it's not like we're saying oh strip till is the answer for everybody. But we we've, we've found a way to blacken up a little bit while still leaving some protection out there from the wind, especially. And the other thing that we've done just adjusting for the strip till is we've been cutting our corn stalks just a little bit higher. So a lot of times we'll leave 18 inches of stock out there. That way we've got some natural windbreaks and that's worked good for us. Uh, I agree with you on the no-till and certainly the guys that are using cover crop would say, well, this is no issue for us at all. There, there are a lot of different ways that you can go. And I do think that some farming practices will change. I think there's going to be some farmers that say, you know what, uh, I've seen the worst and I don't want that anymore. And, and they're going to make a change on their farm. So yeah, a lot of, lot of issues with the, the blowing dirt. Now, as far as your pre-emerge herbicide comment, yes, that pre, if you sprayed it out there and it's laying on the soil surface and you haven't had any moisture to get it in the ground, yeah, I don't doubt that some of that pre could could definitely blow away. 
And you're absolutely right that that uh, that topsoil is really valuable. It's where our highest concentration of nutrients are at as well. So I would say you've got a couple of choices. You could put the pre on earlier, give you more time to catch some rain. You could till the pre in with your last tillage pass. Definitely know a lot of farmers that do that. Uh, I've already heard some guys in Minnesota say where they tilled in their pre this year, it's working. Where they didn't till it in, they didn't get enough moisture to activate it, and they had some weed escapes. So a lot of different things that, that you could think through on that. Uh, I agree. I would not go away from the pre's. I would be cautious, though, where I've, I've got uh, soils prone to erosion. Thanks for the question. Boys, really appreciate that. Uh, I got this one from Jeremy in Iowa. He said, guys, you were talking earlier in your show today about Roundup Power Max, uh, that it comes, quote, unquote, fully loaded with adjuvant. But you raised a good point. I'm using five to seven gallons per acre in my no-till burndown program, but I'm typically using 10 to 12 gallons of water when I spray post-emerge. Should I be adding more surfactant with my Roundup? Because I'm definitely changing my surfactant load as I change the volume of water. Also, just a side question, I've been running ammonium sulfate at 8.5 pounds per 100 gallons of water. Hadn't thought about that either. Should I adjust that one as my spray volume changes? Well, hey, thanks for the question, Jeremy. You know, when when uh, herbicides come with the surfactants in them, I, I know this is how we would really all like to have it. Boy, it should be nice if everything was in the jug. All I have to do is dump it in my sprayer and it's going to work. Rather than, well, I've got to carry along another surfactant and maybe a couple different ones that I might pick between depending on the weather. I, I understand. Uh, but here we go. The, the question, I think it was Nick Flights that had, had talked about this as you change your spray volume now all of a sudden you've got a different surfactant load out there so should you be adding more surfactant when you're spraying more water you have a less concentrated droplet so every droplet that lands on the weed if you want it to kill that plant it needs to stick so yeah you might think about that adding a little bit more surfactant in there and i i know jim reese had made this comment earlier in our show today that when you're spraying low volume of water with a loaded product like Roundup Power Max, you've got a very concentrated droplet of herbicide and surfactant. So should you add some more surfactant? Uh, I would say if weather conditions are not ideal, that would be a really good move. And then in terms of your ammonium sulfate at eight and a half pounds per hundred, a lot of times we'll see a recommended rate anywhere from eight and a half to 17 pounds per hundred. We generally run the 17, but I also know some growers that say they've gone to a pounds per acre rate rather than the, the percentage. And they've liked that, that that's been good for them. Uh, it, you know what? I think either way you're fine. There's a pretty broad range uh, between that. I mean, it's 50% more product or 100% more product uh, at the high rate. So should you adjust that as spray volume changes? I, I don't know. I think I'd just run with your 8.5 to 17 pounds per 100. Thanks for the questions. We really appreciate that today. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.